expectation for this weekend. Receive an expectation for the freedom that you're about to step into this weekend. to do we say we release you Holy Spirit to have your way freedom all freedom Holy Spirit take your liberty in this place Lord we give up our own works of righteousness we give up our own labors and we enter into your rest we enter into that which you are already at work in our lives hallelujah we agree with everything that you're doing in us. All of your promises are yes and amen. We receive that, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So when I was having quiet time this morning, um, I saw Jesus just walking um, in between the aisles. And it was the most humbling thing in my entire life. To um, I've been preparing for four months for this conference, and I feel like a Pillsbury Doughboy, where if you just poke me, I'm like, blah, here's a bunch of information. Like, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so humbled. Amen. I'm so honored. But the greatest thing is that Jesus himself would walk among us, and that the Lord of glory, like, that he loves us so much. And so it was neat because I've a thousand times given him this conference. I know it's his. But it was just like, I don't know. It was just like I just released it to him. And he was just like, it is mine. I've got it. These are my girls. And I love him. And I love you. And I love what Jesus is going to do. And so I just, uh, let's just pray real quick. And um, just tell him how much we like him back. Jesus, you're our best friend. You're the lover of our soul. You're our husband, our boyfriend, our fiance, our guide, our counselor, our savior. And we just thank you for being here. We thank you for walking amongst your girls. I thank you that each woman is lovely. And I declare the blessings of the Lord over us. That we come hungry and we come expected. And you said those who thirst and hunger for righteousness shall be filled. And so we just declare that you're filling us up. God, I thank you that everything that needs to be ministered to will be. And God, I know we're all in a spectrum of places and every woman's got a different story. But Jesus, I thank you by the Holy Spirit, you will minister to every single woman strategically. I thank you that it will not be a human effort, but that you said when the name of Jesus is lifted up, that all men would be drawn unto you, God. And so we thank you that all of your girls are just going to receive that extravagant love, that that love that pours from heaven, that would be liquid love. 
And God, what sustained me for many years is asking for your love sickness. And so God, I just pray that we would be love sick for you. That Jesus would just cause us to have butterflies and that we would be giddy and like brand new baby Christians where it's just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And God, I just pray that revelation that we would have that first love all over again. That we would just recommit every area of our lives to you and our hearts so full to you. And so we just thank you that you are here and we just release all control that you are good and that you're going to do whatever you want in Jesus' name. Amen. I feel really tall. (laughs) Oh, it's okay. They have some. Thank you. They prepared. And I'm wearing waterproof, so we're good. (laughs) Um, So I'm a psychologist, and I fought God on that big time. Uh, When I was five, I wanted to be a missionary, and then I decided that that wasn't as glamorous, so then I decided I wanted to be an actress. Um, And in L.A., when I was um, working out there and getting some jobs, the Lord just dried up my passion, and I didn't want to do it anymore. So I went to a counselor at my university to work on self-esteem, you know, all kinds of stuff that I struggled with. Um, And the counselor was like, why don't you come back when you're not being resistant? And that was my introduction to psychology as an acting major. And I was like, in my heart, I totally judged her. And I was like, who would do this? Psychology is the stupidest thing ever. That's the lamest profession, blah, blah, blah. So then like six months later, I go to somebody else and she called it psychology. It was really just like deliverance. So she's like, have you ever done this, this or this? Has your family ever done this? And so I just repented of a whole bunch of stuff and all these compulsions and addictions and things that I just was the most condemned Christian ever. They all just lifted. And it was like, oh my gosh, like I've literally loved God since I was five years old. I remember praying for my parents' marriage, praying for the country, presidents. Like, I was like a little intercessor at five. But the enemy can come in and he can lie, right? And so I felt bad. I felt dirty. I felt shameful. And when I was little, and I'll just share this for authenticity, um, I was molested. And so with that experience brought in a lot of lies. And so the lies the enemy told me, which I didn't know consciously, but later in healing, God revealed that I was bad, that I was dirty, and that I was shameful. And so those three lies just always stayed with me. And it just created what I'll explain more later, why we have doors up here, um, access points. So these doors kind of represent areas in our heart where the enemy actually has legal access through a mindset or a belief that we have. So some people might call them ungodly beliefs, not like you're ungodly for believing it, but it's a belief that's not true according to what God says about us. And so if I have a door to Jesus and I'm like, yes, Lord, come on in. I love you so much. And I get saved. That door is open, right? So then on the other side, then there's a door. That's okay. They asked if I want my PowerPoint. So I've been working four months on my PowerPoints. (laughs) I'm going to wing it apparently. It's been like one thing after another, so we're just going to do this by memory. Okay, so on this side, now I believe something that's not true. So you know that verse that says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways? That's kind of how that looks. If this is our territory, so one of the analogies God gave me early on um, is that our life is kind of like a city. And so I am the mayor or the steward of my city. This is my internal city, kind of my conscious part of my brain and my subconscious. And then we have our outside of our city, which is like relationships and job and stewarding things and all kinds of stuff out there. 
But as far as my inner world, I have all these conscious beliefs, and that would be about God, would be your God concept. So there's all these fancy people who do lots of great research, and we thank them. I won't go into all of it, but there's something called God's God concept. So if I ask you logically, who is God? You're going to tell me a bunch of verses. You're going to tell me he's good, he's faithful, he's so loving, he's so precious. We just love and adore him. But then when life happens, the electricity gets turned off, my car breaks down, I roll over my dress with my wheel, and so my dress is ripped. When life happens, I have an emotional reaction that's very different than what I know to be true in my head. That's called your God image. And I'll explain this a lot more later. But for tonight, our purpose is to talk about how, as lovers of Jesus, how sometimes our life just gets so cockeyed and crooked and somehow my emotions don't always line up with the truth that God is my provider. He is my husband. He is faithful. He will take, you know, my back and he will blah, 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 blah. So if my God, God, God concept and my God image don't match, then I'm a double minded man. I'm unstable in all my ways. So I'm praising the Lord on Sunday. And then Monday, somebody flips me off or cuts me off on the road. And it's like, oh, it's on like the rage in me comes out. Not that getting angry is a bad thing, but if there's something that just elicits like a fire. And so I call it kind of like if my fire, like my city gets on fire, then that's a good clue for us where there's smoke, there's fire. It's a good clue that maybe we have a door open to the enemy that we don't even know because it's probably in our subconscious. So as a psychologist, we study all the psychology of conscious, subconscious, and how we have all these walls between them, and we can't consciously say what we believe at an emotional level. We just know it when life happens, and now all of a sudden I respond. So whether it's a depressive episode, or I have a panic attack, or I just want to flirt with any guy who will pay attention to me, or whatever, that's showing that there's some God image stuff that God might want to, well, he does want to heal, but he might want to reveal. And I believe he's a gentleman, that he'll reveal things a little at a time so it doesn't overwhelm us. So even in my story, I loved God crazy, but I was addicted to like everything. Like it's good to be a psychologist now because I have empathy for everyone who walks in the door. It's like, you got that problem? Me too. BFF. Um, not anymore. Healed now. But there's a long story because I've loved him my whole life. And yet I was the most condemned Christian. I would go... I went to Christian school, right? So I went to chapel and cried and repented and pleaded for forgiveness. I went to church and cried and pleaded for forgiveness. I went to Sunday service and cried and pleaded for forgiveness. I went to Wednesday. I went to youth group and I cried and pleaded for forgiveness every single time. Didn't Jesus die on the cross just once? Why did I keep repenting if I'd already repented? Maybe as a place of shame, I didn't feel forgiven. Maybe there was something in my heart that was saying, oh, I don't know, I, that doesn't feel true. Let's go ahead and work some more. So I became a very works-oriented Christian where I did all the right things. I served. I served in uh, young life, and I was bulimic at the time. So I was throwing up in the bathroom and then coming out and ministering to the girls. That's how much I wanted to love God and wanted to serve and totally broken and not allowing him to heal me. So all of us walk around with stuff. It's kind of like we're on a continuum of, it really becomes a problem. 
But all of us have a little bit of something. In the Christian world, we'd call that fallenness, right? We all have a propensity toward one thing or another. And depending on life circumstances, those can really get triggered in our lives. And so part of my job is walking alongside of people to help them identify what is the root below that. Most of the time, people love God. Like, I have a pretty Christian practice. So majority of my clients love the Lord. But yet they feel so broken, so shameful, so addicted, so miserable and weak. And it's like, God, I know you're my healer. I know you're my deliverer. But God, how come it doesn't look like that in my life? And so that's where we get to start revealing where has the enemy kept a lie, a door, some kind of an access point where he was able to keep opening it and then it makes it feel true. So my head can know something all day long, but especially as women, usually we go with what that emotion feels and that turns into whatever reaction our natural propensity is, whether that's feeling despair or feeling anxiety or feeling, you know, uh, like I have to go shopping to make myself feel better right now or whatever I have to do to make it better. Those are the conscious things that we try But at the subconscious level, we have all this stuff going on that for the most part we're unaware of. And we try really hard, but if we don't know where he keeps getting access, we're kind of sabotaged, right? Because as Paul said, it's like we're fighting against the air and we don't know the strategic way to fight. And so that's where, going back to wanting to be an actress, so I went to the second lady and she was awesome. She just prayed over me pretty much. And it was like these drives, these compulsions that I had to do certain things lifted. And it was like, Oh, this is amazing. I still had to walk a bunch of stuff out, but the compulsion of having to do stuff changed. So as somebody who's loved God, my entire identity, I mean, I was, I'm like fourth generation Christian. Here's my grandma. Yay! Um, that as a fourth generation Christian, like I really, really knew the word and I've been in Christian school. I've gone to Christian college. I've gone to Christian grad school. I have a Christian doctorate. Everything in my life is Christian, (laughs) but yet somehow my life didn't always live up to that. No matter how much willpower I had. And so when I experienced some of that freedom, I was like, I want everyone to experience this. So I switched my major and I had platinum blonde hair and gold eyelashes. I was very much an acting major in L.A. Uh, And I didn't feel like I fit in. I went over to the psychology world and they seemed so stuffy and so serious and doctory. And I was like, I don't fit in here. Um, But the Lord just continued to direct me. And the coolest thing is, is along the way, I've been able to see God do miracles like you would not believe. People said, oh my gosh, you're going to lose your salvation by your junior year of college if you go into psychology. But isn't God the God of science? Like, isn't he the smartest one ever? So if he created our psyche, wouldn't he have all the treasures and the mysteries? And in Psalms, it says that um, there, there's treasures in darkness. And so my prayer is constantly, God, give us the treasures that the enemy has been holding, the things in the dark that we don't know, and we're fighting against the air, and we're using all our you know, warfare that we know, but yet it's not producing change in our lives. And so as God reveals things, 
I've seen crazy salvations. I've seen crazy stuff happen. Marriages restored. Just amazing things the Lord does as he starts revealing what are those subconscious beliefs? What are those default things we keep going back to? And how are those formed? Because a lot of people feel condemned like, oh, I can't believe I have that or oh my gosh. But it's like, oh, well, uh, I'm a human. And my belief is that we're diamonds and that God did a really good job making us. Like you're not broken, you're not flawed. And the metaphor he gave me in my head was like if he had an assembly line in heaven, you're not the one that fell and cracked and broke and he's like trying to repair and he's like, angel, don't tell her, just put her back up there. And then you're like, ah, I'm the one that's kind of odd and broken and weird. That's a lie from the enemy because God did a really good job making you. We're precious and we're made in his image and he doesn't make junk. So anything opposed to that is a lie, thus an access point where the enemy can make us feel really bad about a whole bunch of stuff at a subconscious level that I'm going, why is my mood low today? Why am I feeling like this? Where is this coming from? God, help me with this. I don't realize I have some stuff that the Lord would like to reveal. So the cool thing is, um, been working on this for a long time, God gave me a dream a couple weeks ago. And in the dream, I was sitting on that side, and I was getting ready to present. And when I came up, the stage was like super, super far away and like these really long steps. And then there was this huge pillar like right here in front of everybody. And I was like, I just felt so disconnected. I was like way far and like steps and it was like unapproachable. And I was like, Lord, what is this? So at first I'm thinking, okay, you know, is this something about me? Is it the conference? Like something out of alignment? Do you need to show us something? And then I felt like the Lord was like, Shannon, didn't you give this conference to me? Yes, of course, Lord. And he's like, well, then if it's not you up there, but you're a representation, a mouthpiece that I'm going to use, isn't that the way they see me? That God's so far, he's so unapproachable, he's so distant. And so the audience, when I started to step down closer to the audience, they started to cheer, like they were hungry. They wanted to hear what the Lord had to say. But there was still this huge block. And I felt like the Lord was revealing that there's God image stuff that we don't see the Lord accurately with our heart because of a whole bunch of other stuff down there that we're not even aware of. That our head and our passion and our zeal, we love him so much, but yet we have this block that's hindering us from seeing the real him. So I'll talk a little bit about God image, how that's formed. So as perfect diamonds, we're made to, you know, be like God, right? So we're these precious, beautiful little creatures. But the Lord, in his wisdom, knew we were going to live in a fallen world. So he gave us defense mechanisms, and he gave us coping mechanisms. He gave us all these, like, pre-programmed in survival things. And we now have genetic coding and all kinds of stuff that's passed out, right? So my family has something. I'm more likely to get it propensity, right? And so on the continuum, then we know that I can have something a little bit and it not show up until life stress and then it can turn into a disorder. So lots of people walk around with kind of man, like a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of depression, a little bit of just kind of a worry wart, a little bit of something, yeah? But it doesn't turn into something 
until enough life situations, and we're all walking around like that, not to freak you out or anything, but to tell you, <laughs> sorry, I just realized that was probably, but anyway, um, so with our God image, the way that that's formed, because everything in this life has to be learned. Nothing is like, we don't have like an innate image of God. In this life, everything is learned and formed through experience. And so as a little girl, I have authority figures, right? So whether they're my biological parents, adopted, foster, whomever may have raised me, that's going to be part of my image of what authority figures look like, right? Make sense? So if I'm little and I'm like, oh, I scrape my knee and I go for comfort and my dad's like, this is not my dad, by the way. But if a dad is like, whatever, you know, and ignores me, what is that little girl going to learn? You can't take your boo-boos and owies and, you know, you can't get nurturance and comfort from that guy, right? If I go, oh, they beat me up and dad, defend me and blah, blah, blah. And he's busy or apathetic or I'm watching the TV, you know. If, I, if he's not paying attention, that's going all into my God image. At a subconscious level, it's forming several questions are being asked by a little girl. The first one is, can I trust? Can I trust others that they will be there for me and they'll meet my needs? If as a little girl, that question is answered by no, maybe those people didn't meet your needs. Or maybe it just felt like they didn't meet my needs. So now that caused a no inside of me. And that created an insecure feeling in the world. It's kind of like if you've seen people who just kind of walk around confident, and then there's other people that kind of walk around intimidated. We can't actually see it on the outside. The most confident people sometimes may be very insecure. But what it creates is an insecure orientation in the world. Like my feeling in this world is I'm not quite sure. I'm kind of wary. With an insecure attachment style, I'll talk more about attachment style, um, that creates an access point where things, when they startle me, when they scare me, it's really easy for me to allow access to the enemy. And I don't even know it, right? Because it's an existing door that I'm unaware of. And then Paul said it's like fiery darts that he shoots in to our mind, right? And so it's like if this door is shut and I'm like, no, I'm trust. Yeah, my dad will take care of my needs. Everything I need, it'll be taken care of, or mom, or whomever. If that door is shut, the enemy can try to send the arrows, but it's less likely to penetrate. But if I already have a pre-existing open door in that area, that means it feels like every arrow just hits. And again, this is all subconscious. It's not stuff we're thinking about. We can't willpower our way out of it. So it's just that internal unease, that kind of uh feeling, you know? you lose your job. And it's like, ooh. So when that happens, then that's telling us, hey, maybe God would like to love on me in that area. Maybe God would like to heal the image I have of authority figures slash God in that area. So most of the time, as Christians, we think we're helping the Lord. My famous prayer as a kid is I would go sin, and then I would come back to him and be like, don't worry, God, I won't do it again. Don't worry. Like he's so busy and he's got like all this stuff and I'm just kind of like taking up his time. Like I've already repented of that same sin a thousand times. So Shannon, seriously, like get your act together. So every time I would say, don't worry, I won't sin. I was using my willpower, right? Not his. So how strong is Shannon? Well, 
I would sin 12 times harder the next week in the exact same area. The enemy's like, oh, great, you're not going to sin? Awesome. So I had an area where I had legal access that it was almost like if there was a fishing line, it was like, and I would go back to it. And I'm not talking about choice and free will, but I am talking about there's subconscious things that happen that we just are like kind of confused and bewildered. Almost like if I'm watching myself going, what are you doing? Why are you acting like this? Are you serious? It's probably showing you that there's a God image on the inside of you that needs to be healed or reprogrammed if we were kind of like computers. So when I'm little and I'm asking all those questions, can I trust? Will my needs be met? Do you care about me? Am I a burden? Am I just another mouth to feed? Or am I sparkly? Am I important? Do you stop and pay attention to what I say? For most of us, we have parents whose names are not Jesus, right? (laughs) So as wonderful as our parents can be, they're still not going to be that perfect parent. So for most of us, one area or another likely is going to be a bit askew. And so that's God's favorite thing is every time I said, don't worry, God, I'll take care of this. I'll use my willpower and my good works and my whatever. He's like, (laughs) but then when I said, God, I can't anymore. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) I'm really done. I'm not kidding. God, I'm so done. Um, He just came in and he swooped in. And so my invite to you is that when you notice something askew, when you notice a knee jerk reaction to life, That even though in your head you know all the verses, you know everything, you may have even taught Sunday school on the very topic, but yet emotionally, when it's your life and it hits, take that to daddy. We can't reprogram it on our own. We need that master programmer to come down and go, pumpkin, I am so sorry that you were abused. I'm sorry that they didn't pay attention to you. I'm sorry that bad thing happened. And even his righteous anger, which is really cool. Normally, we think of God as like loving and soft and gentle. But he has righteous anger at what the enemy has done in our lives as well. So I was just chatting with a girl last night. Horrible abandonment, crazy, crazy bad stuff happened in her life. And it was so neat because when I was interceding for her, it was ministry, not uh, psychology related. Um, so I was praying for her and, um, and I just felt like the Lord was like, had a real anger. Like I am angry that that happened. That should not have happened. And he can be wise enough to not hold the person necessarily responsible, but the area of brokenness that the enemy then used that broken person to hurt somebody else and violate them. God has real anger. And it's a good and it's a pure and it's a holy anger that he's not okay when bad things happen to us. So we can come and we can go, God, she said that about me. Or God, this happened. And he says, let me be your vengeance. So that we don't have to carry that burden. If as a little girl, I had an experience going, uh, nobody's going to watch my back. Nobody's taking out, you know. I'm going to have to probably learn how to defend myself and protect myself, right? I'm going to have to learn how to, you know, do it myself. And I'm subconsciously not going to have the grid, a part of my program, to know how to take it to the Lord and let him defend me. Because that's not part of 
my pre-program from childhood. Does that make sense? So it's like as little girls, we had all these pre-programmed things being written into our heart. The coolest thing is, is wherever there's a lie written, God loves to redeem, to restore, to heal, and to speak his truth in that area. And then ironically, it's usually the area where you're going to minister to others, right? So in my case, I have lots of people I can minister to because I believe lots of lies. So part of our agreement with coming into tonight is that, God, your truth is beautiful and it's perfect. And I believe it here, but, God, I can't wait till it feels real, till I experience it here. If you had a mom or a dad who were mean with their words, it would be hard to take the vulnerable, soft part of you to God. As an authority figure, we have a subconscious view that he's similar to the other authority figures we've known. Or if we had somebody who crossed boundaries, it would be hard to lay down my defenses. There's subconscious ways that we relate with the Lord, and that's kind of like that pillar he showed me, that some of us see God as like a judge. You know, like he's up there and he's holy and he's, you know, passing down edicts, and if you don't do it right, he's going to get you. You, Um, he's up there and maybe he's an employer, you know, like maybe you work for him and then he now owes you because you've been righteous and you've done good things. And now this bad thing shouldn't happen. That's how we become the older brother, right? Because we're not in fellowship. We're not in relationship. We're looking at God emotionally. We don't know we're doing it here. Emotionally, we're looking at God almost like an employer, Like, I'm going to do these good things for God. I'm going to work for you. I'm going to prove to you that I'm really faithful and you really, really like me, okay, God? And I'm fine as long as I don't mess up. Because in that, that's perfectionism, right? I'm earning your favor and your approval. So if I mess up, I'm kind of screwed, you know? And I better work really, really extra overtime in order to get back into his favor again. That's a false God image. It's a distortion And it's very much on the heart of God for us to know him as he actually is. That he's a dad, that he's a lover of our soul. And yes, he's holy and he's precious, but he's also approachable. So in that dream, he desires to come closer. And I know the heart of the women here, because in the dream, everybody was clapping when he was getting closer. But we don't know some of the blind spots we have. Some of the areas where we keep getting tripped up and the Lord's like, hey, I'd like to reveal that to you. Why the enemy keeps getting to do that. Sometimes we have a distorted view of the enemy also. That he's either big and scary and powerful and he can always just attack me at any time. Or we have too small of a view and we just think la-di-da, la-di-da, and we're not being vigilant to protect our mind and our life and to steward it in a way that kind of protects, right? So there's a healthy balance in all things, all things in moderation. So yeah, there's an enemy, unfortunately, but he only has the authority that I give him, right? Because at the cross, Jesus got authority and now Satan is under his feet. Now I am in Christ 
and the hope of glory dwells in me. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. So that power and that anointing that now he's my brother. I'm BFFs with the guy who kicked his behind. So why does the enemy intimidate me so much? Why does he, why do I blame everything on him? Maybe I have a stewardship issue where I need to start learning what walls do I need to strengthen? What doors do I need Jesus to help me identify and take the key out so that doesn't keep opening? Which ways in my life do I need to do it in such a strategic way that whenever the enemy tries, I'm like, go away, despair, leave in Jesus' name. So one time I was in Hawaii and that was my wilderness, ironically, but it was. Um, and I went three months without any relationships. I lived all by myself. So as an extrovert, that's kind of like John on the Isle of Patmos going, oh my gosh, like it was awful. Um, and so there was a day where I was talking to my mom and she's telling me a story and I'm like, oh, Mom, that story's depressing me already. Like, stop telling me or whatever. So after that, I just noticed I got like a headache and I started feeling like heavy. And I went to Bible study and I was like irritated at what the ladies were saying. And I was like, Shannon, like you love Bible study. What's wrong with you? And I just felt this pain in my back and I was just restless and I didn't want to be there. And I was like annoyed at everything. And so to test it out, I was like, huh. So they wouldn't see me. I said, I bind depression in Jesus' name. My headache cleared. The pain in my back left. I got all this energy, and everything the ladies were saying was just absolutely fascinating. So that tells you a couple things. One, I already had a pre-existing door to depression. And you could talk about a whole cluster. Is there actually a door of depression, or is there a whole cluster of stuff that would go with that? That's not for now. But I had an existing door where by me saying, you're depressing me already, that I made a verbal agreement without realizing it. And that opened the door and my body actually physically agreed with it. And so as psychologists, we study the biological, psychological, social, spiritual. That my mind, my body, my spirit, and my relationships are always coexisting. So kind of like our God, how he's one God, but yet we have three names for him. He has three personalities. How is that one God with so many dimensions? We are one person with a spirit, with a psyche, which would be our mind, and soul. I forgot which one I already said. Body, soul, and spirit. So we have all three of those. They're always communicating. So when I come into agreement with a thought, that thought activates neurochemical exchanges in my brain that then go, oh, turn this on, especially if it's a well-rehearsed thought. And it can be a thought of depression, of anxiety, of despair, of suicide, of I want to leave my husband, of whatever. Whatever well-rehearsed thought now leads to neurochemical changes in my brain that then tell my body, Oh, okay. And so then it turns on, depending on what exchange, the physical response of that thought. Craziest part is we call them automatic thoughts because most of the time we don't even realize we're having them. It's kind of like the popcorn thoughts the enemy tries to just kind of shoot into our head. And before I know it, I'm like, yeah, I am mad at my boss. 
yeah, I am married to a loser. Yeah, like whatever. Whatever thought, or I'm so worthless, or nobody likes me, or God, I think God's mad at me, or, you know, whatever the thought is, it's an automatic thought. Usually it, the enemy's best thing is to fly under the radar because then we can't fight it, right? It's just like, whew, and it's just an innocent little thought, right? Except that dart has fire in it that now releases a whole bunch of stuff in my body. If it's an anxious thought, like an insecure or an unsettled feeling or a phobia or, a you know, something that's just kind of, it's going to release a whole lot of cortisol in your body. It's going to cause all your adrenal system to turn on. So then it's going to feel true. And my body's going to go, geez, we are feeling anxious. And so the brain's going to go, man, this is something to really worry about. Oh, my gosh. This is all split seconds without your conscious brain even being aware. So this whole cycle is going on on the inside, and then we're just kind of grocery shopping. We don't even realize all this stuff has happened, and my body's now unsettled. And I'm like, man, I'm in a funk today. Or, man, I just can't catch my breath. Or, gosh, everybody is irritating me today. Or, oh, can't someone shut up? You know, whatever the thought is, that whole instant thing shows us at one point there was a thought that entered. And so we were told to take every thought captive, right? To renew our mind every day. Because there's mindsets when we're little girls that are formed. And that's kind of our default programming of am I pretty? Do I have worth? Do other people like me? Will you meet my needs? Are you against me or are you for me? All those questions are being asked. And they're actually a generalized feeling that we walk around with. So I think that I only think it about my parents, or I think I only think it about myself. But at a subconscious level, I'm applying that to God. I'm applying that to people in relationship with. I'm also applying it to myself in ways I'm not even aware. So in my inner city, there's a whole lot going on. And one of my heroes uh, is a neuroscientist and a Christian, um, and she's from South Africa. And they estimate that our brain says about 16,000 words a minute. I heard another estimate that it's about 1,500 words a minute, subconscious and conscious. So that's kind of crazy, right? And the louder and the more chaotic, the more noisy, a whole bunch of stuff's flying in, right? So God said, be still and know that I'm God, right? So if I slow down and I'm actually cognizant and aware of what thoughts are shooting into my city, I'm more likely to be able to take it captive. Like I was in that Bible study, Holy Spirit reminded me, Shannon, do you remember that conversation? It had been three days earlier that I said that to my mom. And so I was like, well, I bind depression in Jesus' name. And it lifted and it was awesome. And it can be that quick. It doesn't have to be this hard, awful thing. I remember when I would feel convicted when I was still under condemnation that I would be like, oh, my God, this is going to be so long and horrible. And it would just be so quick. I'd be like, God, I have a bitter root towards someone. And I'd be like so worried it's going to take forever. And he'd be like, okay, did you repent? Um, Lord, I repent for having a bitter root. Will you take it, please? And he's like, okay. And it would be gone. And I would see that person and that emotional flare-up that I used to feel. Wow, that's gone. Huh, that's great. <laughs> Yay, come. 
where my hope is that God becomes your therapist. He becomes your psychologist. Um, cause that's what he's been to me is that every step I see something else. You know, even in this season, God showed me striving and I was like, huh, a little sanguine striving. Who knew? <laughs> Not me, but apparently I was. And so I just repent and I go, Papa, I am so sorry for striving. God, what's below that, right? Because that's just a behavior. I'm likely to go back to behavior because, remember on the, the chain of events? Behavior is like the last thing that happens. So if I just feel bad and go, gosh, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry I did that behavior again. Dang, I did it again. That's the last. That means there's a whole trickle of events that happen way up here first before you ever did the behavior. So Papa God, help me understand what need am I trying to meet by that behavior? What am I trying to get accomplished? Is there something I'm trying to numb or avoid? Sometimes the enemy gets so loud and all our insecurities and all our uncomfortable things get so loud that we just want to silence it. And so it's kind of like, oh, this is good. And we just get really loud and busy. And the busier, the louder, the easier the darts come in. And the more we have ridiculous thoughts that go unchecked, and they seem like a really good idea when we're in our irrational brain that just wants to feel better now. Does that make sense? So if we're going to start looking strategically, it's not just about behavior modification. It's not about willpower. It's about fighting strategically. My people perish for a lack of knowledge, right? So we want to become wise, and we want to go, Daddy, I've noticed this keeps being a hurdle in my life. Lord, I thank you that you love me. You're walking me, walking through this with me, that he'll walk through the fire, he'll walk through the water, and we will not be scorched, we will not be overcome. So he's not mad, he's not disappointed, because once the enemy tells you, oh, you did it again, you know, and that spirit of condemnation makes you feel really bad, and now God feels really distant, and I'm kind of like, oh, dang. Holy conviction is great. But conviction, godly sorrow leads to conviction that brings us closer to our dad, not further. So if emotionally I start pulling away, there might be an insecurity. So God showed me underneath my striving, Shannon, you're insecure. Huh, that makes so much sense, Lord. And I looked back at other areas in my life and I'm like, wow, God, you're good. You're a good therapist. You got that. And so I'm able to go, Papa, I repent for insecurity because here's what you say. You say that I'm secure in Christ, that you're crazy about me, that you love me, that you're for me and not against me, that you've got my back. And so God, that's a silly thought. I'm going to come out of agreement with that today in Jesus name. And I'm going to open the door to truth where I feel secure, where I feel like you like me all the time. In the middle of my sin and muck and blah, 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 you love me. Of course his holy fire wants to burn the sin, of course. But he still likes me. I'm still the diamond. Underneath all of that, he's like, ah, oh, she's beautiful. The same Jesus that came when we were still sinners is the same Jesus who still helps us today when we're still sinning sometimes. Right? Sometimes we feel like, oh man, thank God for the cross. Oh yes, the cross was such a wonderful point in my life then. But why aren't we girls that keep going back to the cross and oh my gosh, it's so big, it's so wonderful, it's so marvelous. 
And he shows me another thing. A little at a time, he doesn't overwhelm us. He just goes, hey, pumpkin, here's an area. Let's put a holy highlighter here, and let's work on that. (laughs) Because I don't like that the enemy keeps hurting you in that area either. Because I know that it's hurting you. I know that it's hurting your relationships. I know that it's disconnecting you from your destiny. I know that it's hurting lots of things that I don't like for you. So instead of our God image being God's disappointed, he's mad, he's displeased, he's distant, or whatever, or that he's just up there and I kind of have to figure it out on my own down here, that's also a false God image. But he is a papa. Jesus called him Adonai, or no, he called him Daddy. Um, And so when we crawl on his lap, he loves to reveal stuff. So in my four months of preparing for this, I felt like the Lord was like, what's on his heart is that we would know him for him. And we would take him out of our box, that we would let him reprogram, and we would be like little explorers. Like, hey, Lord, I learned something today. Hey, God, I just reacted to you like you were mad at me. Hey, God, I just reacted like, you know, I'm working for you and I'm, you know, and I'm on my own and I'm supposed to please you and do this for you. God, forgive me for that. Thank you for showing me the truth that you're crazy about me, that you love me, and that I'm secure in you. As you do, what's happening in your body is GABA is being released, and that's a neurotransmitter that tells the body, hey, we're okay. Because what happens is when I get anxious is my fight or flight turns on. (laughs) We're in threat. Oh, my gosh, lion is chasing. Yeah? So when I get in threat, my body goes, we're not okay. So all the blood rushes to my respiratory system and to my muscles so I can run. The enemy knows that. He's studied humans for a long time. So he knows that if he can get us anxious, if he can get us in our irrational brain, one of the things it does is it takes blood and electric activity away from the prefrontal cortex, and this is the part of the brain that has smart thoughts. This is the part that thinks long-term. This is the part that actually holds your God concept, the part that knows better, but yet your irrational brain is that subconscious stuff that doesn't, that emotionally It still responds way back here like we're still in that fight-or-flight mode. When that happens, I'm not thinking with my rational brain. The enemy has just shot a thought into my brain. My adrenaline kicks in. Fight-or-flight turns on. Cortisol is released. And now I'm shallow breaths. And I'm, no, I'm fine. Praise the Lord. God is good. Okay. Yeah, that's good. But I'm not thinking really rationally at a biological level, meaning I'm also having a harder time hearing the Holy Spirit. Because now the blood flow has left. Neuroscientists, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, you should look her up. um, They've actually found areas they think that our brain connects with the Lord. It's a very subcortical part of our brain that we're wired to actually connect with our spirit realm. And so he's wired us to connect to him. But when this one's open, this one can't be open. So once anxiety turns on, it turns off GABA, the neurotransmitter that tells me, oh, you're okay, you're safe, you're fine. 
So that means it's a whole lot harder to hear the Holy Spirit, right? He's that still, small, sweet voice. Sometimes we, he, you know, we still hear him, but for the most part, it makes it much harder and much harder to feel him because now my body is getting shot with adrenaline and I feel uh, all kinds of things. And so it's hard to feel that reassurance and comfort that I need to know it's really going to be okay. I'm going to be fine. So these are kind of like doors that cancel each other out. GABA is the neurotransmitter that turns off cortisol. It's the chemical in the brain that says, okay, blood, go back to digestion, go back to normal parts of the body, and go back to your prefrontal cortex where you think clearly. When I do, which is kind of like our quiet time, if it's actually quiet for you emotionally, when you do, that's opening that door where Holy Spirit is more easily heard. Does that make sense? That that part of my brain kicks in and I go, oh, yeah, God, you've got this. So I was at the place of like really striving really badly a couple weeks ago. And my friend said, she texted me, and um, she was like, Shannon, I feel like Wednesday or Thursday, you just need to take a super long, quiet time. And at that point, I had, like, hit the wall. I was like, I'm done. I can't do this. Oh, my gosh. And so I was just, like, so done. So I had this really long, quiet time with the Lord on Thursday. And it was like one of those comedy of errors where everything had gone wrong and, like, everything. Like, the PowerPoint that I've worked on for months that we're all grateful that I have right now, right? (laughs) Yeah, me too. Really glad. Um, That I just had this amazing quiet time where it was like this giddiness and this joy that while I was still in works and striving and effort, not that there's not a time and place for that, but when I was hyped up in Shannon effort, in your effort, when we do that, we are so keyed up that it makes it harder to hear Holy Spirit. So when I finally sat my butt down, got quiet, and I did a little gardening, by the way, and that was really fun. I like roses. Um, That Holy Spirit just so reassured me, and it was like a miracle. And I just had this giddy joy. I've had my outfit picked out for tonight forever, and I was so excited. I had it hung up. I was, like, really careful with it. It was new. And then I'm taking my luggage last night and roll over it, and it rips the dress. (laughs) Yeah, it's a true story. Yeah. So today, I'm scrambling, trying to find an outfit. Yeah. So one of the reasons I was late, sorry. Um, But God worked it out, right? And so when I had that time with him, and he showed me the lie about insecurity, And I came out of agreement with it, and I started confessing the truth and what I do, not that you need to do this, but I go on prayer marches, and I'm like, God, here's what your word says, and this is what's true, blah, 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 and I hate him, and I'm not listening anymore in Jesus' name, and blah, blah, blah. And when I do that, it gets down into my spirit man, and my spirit man has a righteous anger that goes, no, that's not happening anymore. You're not tripping me up in that same area again. So that feeling of security that my whole life I've lived apparently insecure, that he caused the secure feeling that it's going to work out and it's going to be fine. And comedy after error, after error, after things going wrong, it was just like I had giggles and laughter through it. 
So the metaphor the Lord gave me is kind of that storm where we're in the middle of the storm and we're in the little boat and Jesus is in our boat, but most of the time it does feel like he's asleep and he's kind of like, hey, comatose guy, I've got bills to pay. Really? Are you here? I love you, but I'm still living in this life. You're ethereal up there. It's great. Oh, so he is very much awake. He's very much active. And when we just turn to him and we have that conversation like, hey, Lord, this just came up. Huh, what would you like to show me about this? How would you like to reveal how you actually are? Because that's a lie, whatever I was believing. You're not mean. You're not distant. You're not whatever. But you're nice and kind and sweet and precious and faithful. And one of the, re- uh, one of the ways that God showed this to me is that as a psychologist, I know everything has to be learned. Right? No pre-programming. I mean, there's still a debate about that, but at least what I'm talking about right now is not pre-programmed. So we do not know how to love unless it's first given, right? So everything has to be given to me first. It's imprinted into my pre-programming, and now I have it in order to give it to others. So God showed me, isn't he love? Isn't that who he is? And doesn't Corinthians talk about what is love? And so it was really neat because I had the lowest self-esteem on the planet. You wouldn't even believe it. For me to be up here is a living miracle. Um, That God showed me that he believes all things good about us. He believes in us. Like we believe in him all day and we're like, we love you. We believe you're going to do this for us. Yay, yay, rah, rah. He's like, I believe in you. Like, I believe in you. I vote for you. I say, yes, you can do it. I'm proud of you. I am pleased with you. The accuser, he beats you up all day long, and you let him say mean things to you all day long, but he's got his cheering committee, the great cloud of witnesses, and they're all like, you can do it. We know you can. You are perfect for that job. So if we know his nature, so my, what I did is I studied that passage in Corinthians and I said, God, I don't know you like that. I knew God very much as he's mad at me, disappointed and displeased. And I actually wouldn't even say that's my parents' fault as much as I believe that the enemy knows how strong our God image is and how much it determines the rest of every decision we're going to make kind of paints the brush. So I believe that he'll use even other circumstances to shoot an arrow. And when I go, Oh, I'm not important, or I don't matter, or, oh. When it hits, it forms a belief, and then that creates a mindset. And that's part of my pre-programming that keeps me in bondage and then has a legal access point because it's an ungodly belief. Because if we think about how we get saved, believe in my heart, our subconscious, kind of, yeah, and I confess it with my mouth. How many of us walk around going, yeah, God may do that for other people, but he won't do it for me, you know? Even if we don't say it out loud, that's still a thought. So there must be a lot of power to whatever I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth. Because if that can determine my eternal salvation of what I'm believing in my heart and confessing with my mouth, on the other side, the enemy knows if he can just get me to believe something in my heart and start confessing it with my mouth, power The power of life and death is in the tongue, right? The tongue is like this fire and who can bridle it, you know? 
that we really need to be careful of the thoughts we entertain, what we allow to hang in our heart, and what we speak. Because that's what's causing the unstable in all our ways. Is that we're praise the Lord girls on Sunday, and then the rest of the week, we're like roller coasters. We're ups and downs. We're here and we're there. And so that just means, Daddy, can you show me what belief is below that behavior? Daddy, can you show me what I'm believing about you? Thank you for showing me the truth when the enemies told me these lies. Thank you that you care to reveal yourself to me in this way. Some of us need compassion and nurturance. But did you know you can't receive it unless you have a grid for it? Psychologically, we have all these dimensions that are being formed, kind of like gates or doors, good doors, that if I don't know how to receive love, it's going to make it harder to give love, right? So a lot of times we can learn through modeling, right? So I go to church long enough and I learn, okay, this is how you love people. This is how you do that. Okay, so I learn through assimilation. I gain the culture. But somehow it misses my heart. So maybe I'm not able to receive God's love for myself. Maybe I can give it and I can serve and I can be, you know, a good leader. But maybe in my own heart, there's a disconnect. And God's trying to pour love, but it's kind of like, ooh, I don't receive it. Or it's dry. Or it's just the lack of experience of it. So what we do is we go, hey, Papa, I think I'm having a hard time experiencing your love. God, I ask you to create an access point, to create a a point in me that would be able to experience your love. Sometimes there might be a disconnect because of a belief like I'm unworthy or I'm dirty or I'm shameful or there's something wrong with me or people don't like me or whatever. Did you know they found research that if you improve people's self-esteem, they're more likely to accept the gospel? People who have self-rejection and self-hatred project, right, because my grid, I'm going to project that onto God that he's going to reject me and he's going to hate me. If I do, who would want to be a part of a club that would let me be a member? Like, something wrong with that God if he'd let me in. So for us, recognizing, Daddy, I need to experience you here. Would you show me any disconnects that might be there? So maybe I haven't received it. Maybe I had a childhood where I didn't get a lot of love. Or maybe I got inappropriate boundaries crossed. And so then it kind of closed me off and everything felt like, huh, on the inside? Daddy, show me the purity of your love. Maybe we have unforgiveness or hurt or a disconnect between a family member. So the coolest thing is, so somehow God is this divine mystery of being one, and yet three of his dimensions, his per- whatever he is, that he's this divine mystery that in scripture it very clearly talks about the different needs that are met by the different aspects of his one nature. And so if I have a broken relationship with my dad, they do research on this and they think, not conclusive, they think that there might be a parallel between our ability to feel a good identity, like a, a truthful identity, good self-esteem, protected and provided for, 
based on my grid of whatever father-type relationship I had. So if I have a disconnect and I don't know God as my provider, if I don't know God as my defender, maybe he defends other people, maybe, praise the Lord, he does it for their lives, but I'm not sure he does it for me. If I don't know myself as worthwhile and valuable and beautiful and sparkly and shiny, maybe there's a disconnect where my dad wasn't able to impart into me Yes, pumpkin, you are fascinating. You are captivating. You are adorable. So that means, hey, Dad, I live in a fallen world. I know the people that did their best, did the best they could with what they could, right? So in my office, I generally see generational themes that pass down. So in the church, we call generational strongholds. So that's the spiritual component. But there's also the behavioral component. That then modeling, certain families do it a certain way, and now that's passed to the next generation. And it's easy for us to look back and be like, oh, how did you do that? When we need to go, hey, Lord, I think they did the best that they could. I receive your healing that maybe that wasn't okay. Maybe validation that they shouldn't have been abusive. Maybe whatever I need to heal my heart toward that family member, or maybe it's not a family member, whomever, Because that's going to hinder my ability to connect with God in that area. It's going to cause a distorted image of God in that area. So the cool thing is they actually study how we experience God in different areas, right? So I can experience God as, um, like I have a friend who's a lawyer. And I'm like, Parnas, how do you experience God? She's like, oh, he's my justice. He's my vindicator. He is righteous and holy and angry and, you know, all these great things. And I'm like, huh. I don't know him like that at all. She's like, how do you know him? I'm like, he's lovey and wonderful and soft and nice. She's like, huh, I don't know him at all like that. So there's all of us walking around where usually we have one dimension of God that's stronger, you know, that we really relate with. Maybe it's our guide. Maybe our counselor. Maybe I go to him when I'm in a crisis. Maybe I crawl on his lap. But maybe if I'm bad or maybe if I do something wrong or maybe in provision, I don't know him like that yet. So he wants to reveal himself. And so that's where we open. The word I kept hearing from the Lord is fling wide, O gates. Fling wide the door and say, God, I can't wait to know you as provider, as protector, as the one who gives me identity and says, yes, you're worth it. You're worth the cross. If there was nobody else, you are worth the cross. And I would do it again in a heartbeat because you're my girl and I'm crazy about you. If we don't know him like that, he is anticipating to reveal himself in that way. (laughs) Another door. They do research and they think there's parallels between our mom and the Holy Spirit. That there's ways that we connect with the Holy Spirit that are nurturance, getting comfort, getting reassurance, validation, guidance, and communication. So if I have a mom who used a mean tongue, if I have a mom who said, oh, you're fine, and didn't kiss my boo-boo, that's going to impact my ability to know how to receive it from the Lord. Consciously, I can try all day long. 
But if I don't recognize, hey, maybe that means there's a door that needs to be opened to the Lord, then I'm going to try and try and try and be frustrated. And then a lot of people get mad at God going, well, I've prayed about that forever. and You know? And it's like, well, as the mayor, it's our decision to open or close what doors. Keep opening the doors to the enemy, not so successful. Maybe we can open the door to the Lord the next time that issue comes up, or proactively, in my hope for us, that we would say, okay, Lord, I don't know that I receive your comfort. I don't know if that's in my grid yet. So, Dad, I thank you that you want to pour out comfort to me, that you want to help me receive your soft side, your nurturing side, the sweetness, the communication, that you want to be like that mom to me that, since her name is not Jesus, she probably wasn't a perfect one. Just like when I'm a mom in Jesus' name, I will not be Jesus either. So no condemnation on parents, but just recognizing in a fallen world, stuff's going to happen, and we're going to have areas of lack. But that's where Father God comes in, he restores, he reprograms, and then he makes us like the expo phenomenal way better version in that exact area. So as somebody who used to cut herself and cry for hours with self-hatred and self-loathing, I hated everything about myself. I mean, depression like you wouldn't believe. For somebody to stand up here and be like, my God loves me, I'm his favorite, and he thinks that I'm smart and pretty and great, that is a living miracle. Like I could not have said that before. But my God has been restoring and healing and helping me open doors to him to give access where he could tell me that. Where I can go, Dad, my feelings got hurt. Would you, would you heal my heart? That my first call isn't to a person. Not that people are bad. But maybe my first call is to my daddy. That he nurtures, that he comforts, that he says, I got it. I understand. That is no good. I'm sorry that happened. That's not fair. Maybe he gives me solutions and ideas and all kinds of fun stuff. When I know him there, my whole relationship changes, right? Because the love side of God just oozes out of us, and we can't help but to give it. We can't give what we haven't received, right? So in Corinthians, learning to receive God the way that he is love. So he hopes all things good about us. He believes all things good about us. He bears all things, long suffering and patience with us. That's our God. And then there's Jesus. So they parallel. Oh, by the way, and if you have any unforgiveness or bitterness or heart stuff that needs to be dealt with, that would hinder the ability. It would be like a locked door. And so if it's hard, start looking. Hey, Dad, do I have any unforgiveness, anything I need to deal with, with my natural maternal figures, so that that now can have an unlocked door that you can. So that's another clue. On Jesus' side, Jesus is called our brother, right? He's the lover of our soul. He's our pursuer. The word I got for this conference was extravagant pursuit. That when he pursues us, he goes out. He goes big. That he extravagantly pursues us. And if we don't know him like that yet, he would love to show himself that way. So Jesus, 
according to research, doesn't mean it's always 100% for every case, but that maybe it parallels peer relationships like friendships. So if there was bullying or good friendships and siblings. So that kind of creates our grid of understanding who is Jesus and what is Jesus like to me. So all this stuff is kind of formed when we're really young. So if I had a really bullying sibling, I'm probably not going to experience Jesus as like playful and joyful and funny, right? Because he might be kind of like, hey, consuming fire, cool. And maybe that's the only side I see of him, which he is a consuming fire, sure. But he's also not one-dimensional. I mean, I can put on my, you know, hat today and look like I'm 10 years old and everybody's like, where's the conference speaker? Hey, where's that? You know, there's different parts of us. Just like God. He has different parts of his personality. He's not like inappropriate and just always stoic when we need him to be soft and gentle or playful and fun. So the season for me right now is finding out Jesus is really funny. Like he's hilarious. And he tells me funny things and he makes me laugh at myself. And we just have jokes in our head all the time. Sound a little schizophrenic because I just said our head. It's true. I did. I'm cognizant of that fact. Um, so sibling relationships, that's the door where we're going to look at, huh, do I have anything that I need to heal and restore there? Maybe some of you had great friends and siblings, and it's really easy to picture God as lighthearted and fun and playful and cool. But sometimes our grid is also formed by our church. So if sometimes the church is very like serious and stoic and this is God, that's also going to shape my view of God, right? And so we want to take God out of that box, whatever our box is, because he's always bigger. We see through a glass dimly. And until glory, we're going to always be going from glory to glory, where we're understanding him at a greater level. And so my encouragement tonight is that we would open the chambers of our heart, that we would welcome in the king of glory and let him love on us in the areas and the needs that we have of him. That his, his favorite thing to do, that he's not busy, he doesn't have a thousand other things that are more important, he wants to be here. And that's why Jesus walking the aisles, and I hadn't even seen the room when I had that vision this morning, it was just so sweet to see him walking the aisles and just loving on each girl. That we just want to open up, and if there's any disconnects, then we just take it to him and we ask him a question. Hey, Papa, what's this about? Jesus, I don't think I experience you as funny and playful yet. I would like to know you that way. Help me. I invite you into that area in my life. God, is there anybody I need to forgive? Is there anything I need to release? Is there any old lie that might be hindering that door from opening? Maybe the lie that God's going to get you. Maybe if you're not perfect, he'll whatever. Those are lies. And he really, really, really is excited for us to stop listening to the enemy and actually start listening to how much he loves us. He's crazy about us. He's for us and not against us. He has a plan, a purpose, and a destiny that we can't even imagine. So our lives don't always look like that along the way. But I promise that even in the hiccups and the ripped dresses and everything else in life, there's a place to be in that storm and yet still at a place of rest and still giggly and still having fun because in the middle of that storm, Jesus is sitting with us and he's going through it with us. 
He promised we'll go to the other side. So it's completed. Deborah, who's one of the intercessors, interceded for me a lot. And she said, Shannon, it's already done. Now rest. Of course, I didn't. I kept working crazy hours. Um, But my life would have been much better if I would have believed that it was done and just rested. So how many of us just need to believe whatever work God has done is done? Mostly, he's already done it at the cross. So any question about that, then we can do altar calls. But Jesus, he did it all. He accomplished everything at the cross. So anything that we need, it is done. It is sealed in the blood of Jesus. And by his stripes, we really are healed. And so we get to approach the throne of grace and mercy boldly tonight, requesting of our Lord whatever we need and receiving a whole bunch of whatever he wants to pour out. I was done. Um, So we're going to do communion. Um, and we're going to do altar ministry. So if there's anything in your heart that's just kind of like, oh, I'd like to pray about that. I'd love for you to receive prayer. I'm one of those people that I'm always at the altar line every, every time because I just love prayer. Um, so no matter what's going on in your life, just receiving prayer, there's power when we come into agreement. And then um, we're going to have communion, and it's going to be special and beautiful. And another word that the Lord gave me was the word abundance. Um, that most of the time we live with a meager understanding, a poverty mindset, and we're unaware of it. And so the Lord would love to show us that he is more than enough, that he is the God of the abundance. Pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing is the nature of our God. So our bread is abundant, and it's big, and I want you to take big chunks and receive it by faith that, God, you are the God of abundance. So whatever my needs are, Whatever my love, because we always need more of God, right? Whatever it is, I'm going to eat more of it by faith, receiving that. And that act of faith is coming into agreement with I'm opening doors to you. The chambers of my heart are opening and I receive you in these areas. out looking for a place where they could have supper together and the disciples had not a clue that it was going to be the last time they would see Jesus on the earth and they found a home and the homeowner said well I do have this upper room and we're in the upper room tonight it was a place to recline and rest spend time together thinking about all that Jesus was and is and is to come and in that plan God had redemption for each and every one of us showed that great multitude of love and grace 
and gave his only begotten son that we would not have to die but we could live so tonight we take the bread which was his body broken for each and every one of us and we remember Father Abba Father thank you so much for your precious love that you gave your only son for us so tonight take this bread into our own bodies and remember your most precious love also had the wine the wine that represents his blood that was shed for you and me for every daughter here tonight for every person on the earth and his blood when you received him courses through your veins and tonight Lord we take this cup in remembrance of you And as we drink it, Lord, let it wash over us. For you don't see us in sin, but you see us white as snow. So, Father, we give you our everything, those broken places, the sin in our lives, the unforgiveness, the need for a Savior every day. And, Father, we remember you joy and thankfulness. And it is done. at you, not to give you the law, but to share the love of Christ from our hearts to yours. So don't hold